Welcome to Recon Podcast Episode Number 3. Recon is the Research and Education Collaborative Occultation Network. This is a project that directly involves teachers, students, community members, and scientists in the study of the outer solar system. I'm your host for today, Mark Bowie, the principal investigator for this research project. John Keller is the co-PI, and we trade off and share in talking about our project. This podcast is produced for the recon teams and for anyone in the general public that might be interested in our project. We hope this podcast will provide useful information to help our teams stay connected to the project. We will also talk about current events and related results and activities in the scientific community. Also included will be background information that helps our teams more fully understand the project. In this episode, I want to share some of my experiences from the scientific conference I was just attending last week in Uruguay. The conference I was attending ran from April 10th to 14, 2017 in Montevideo, Uruguay. The conference is named Asteroids, Comets, and Meteors and is an international conference that meets every three years to discuss the science and discovery and analysis and understanding of these varied phenomena in our solar system. This particular meeting had perhaps 400 attendees um, from all over the world. Where is Uruguay? Well, this is on the east coast of South America in between Brazil and Argentina. It's not an area I get to very often. In fact, this is the first time I've ever been there. One thing about the results I'm going to talk about here is that this is a scientific conference. In a scientific conference, it's not unusual for people to present new ideas that haven't quite been fully worked out, and they're just going to try to test them out on the science community, see how they float, see whether or not it makes any sense, and if people have strong objections. So sometimes you hear great new results that have been fully worked out. Sometimes you're just hearing preliminary ideas and guesswork, and uh, you might never hear about them again. So keep this in mind as I talk about these things, because very little of what I'm going to talk about has actually been proven, but it's just interesting things to think about. Another aspect about meetings like this to keep in mind is, well, what are they good for? In addition to sharing scientific ideas, it's a, it's a time for meeting and getting to know your colleagues or reacquainting yourself with people you already know and talking about your own projects on the side. So there was quite a bit of discussions that I had with members of the occultation community, both from Brazil and Argentina, Europe and the United States, and in fact talking about a lot of strategies having to do with the recon project. But for this podcast, I'm going to concentrate on a couple of science results and ideas and concepts that I encountered in the meeting. These some They have ties into things that relate to recon, but uh, sometimes the ties are a little bit tenuous. So the first item that I want to talk about is related to the Rosetta mission. This is a European Space Agency mission to the comet known as 67P or Cheryumov-Gerasimenko or more in short form people call it CG. They can't master the Russian names of the two guys that discovered this comet long ago. 
The suggestion in looking at the structure of the surface of Comet CG is that its internal structure is much like an onion, alternating between weak and strong layers of material. And this gives you the pits and the layers that you see on the surface, and they postulate that it extends right, right the way into the center. This makes it very, very different from something like the Earth, where the material inside the Earth has been sorted to the densest stuff is at the core and the lightest stuff is at the top. And it is definitely not like an onion. In fact, we call the Earth's internal structure differentiation as a signature of this sorting of the material. So when you look at CG, you would know that this hasn't happened. Furthermore, if the structure continues into the center, it means that it didn't really get heated up that much as it was forming. Now, it turns out that this is a little hard to do because in the early days of the solar system, there's this stuff called CAIs. It stands for calcium and aluminum inclusions. In particular, it brings in a radioactive isotope of aluminum that is the source of a lot of the heat in the early solar system formation. And it's inevitable that these CAIs are included in comets. And what you want to do to preserve this onion structure is to have these CAIs come in very slowly into the comets. And this, in turn, implies that comets are formed much more slowly than the planets. Because the planets grow much bigger, and they get differentiated, and they end up looking very, very different from the comets. I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, description about the kind of the big picture of, of comets. And one of the other suppositions here is that this makes comets very different from even things like TNOs, the objects we study with recon. And TNOs is, for as near as we can tell, these these are larger bodies that have been um, differentiated and probably have internal heating. In fact, we see evidence of that looking at Pluto with the New Horizons result. Looking a little further out in the solar system, there was some really nice talks based on results from the Dawn mission. This is a discovery mission that has gone out and flown to the asteroid Vesta first and then Ceres, orbiting both of those and doing detailed mapping and studies of these two bodies. And these are of the biggest objects out in the asteroid belt, and that makes them kind of interesting for study. So one of the comparisons that was drawn between the two bodies was in sort of their composition and just general structure. Vesta's been called the fifth terrestrial planet after Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. It's high density. It's thought to have an iron or an iron-rich core, much like the Earth. And Ceres is the largest main belt asteroid, but it appears to be much more like a TNO. In fact, this has been suggested before to explain how what it looks like, that maybe it escaped from the Kuiper belt and was transported into the main asteroid belt. 
problem with that is that it seems kind of unlikely to just have one series. If it was possible to get one, given the number of these that might have been in the outer solar system, you might expect to find thousands, and we don't see that many of those bigger objects. But nonetheless, Ceres is very different from Vesta. It's rich in volatiles. In this case, what this means is that it has water mixed into its composition and also probably things like ammonia. That's a nitrogen-rich volatile. And as a result, because of the mixture of water and ammonia, may still be geologically active today. Now, it would be a lot easier to explain Ceres if it lived much further from the sun than it is now. Based on where it is now, it really should be a lot more like Vesta. And if you look at the material that builds up an object as it's forming in the solar system, the further out you go, the cooler it is. And eventually you cross a thing called the snow line. And that just says when you start to accumulate water into the body. If you keep on moving further out, you get to the ammonia line. And there, inside that line, you only get water. Outside that line, you start to mix in ammonia. And it's the placement of these two lines, the water line and the ammonia line, it's hard to reconcile with Vesta and Ceres' current positions. I didn't hear any final answers on how to explain this particular mystery. Further research is obviously going to be needed to kind of sort this all out. But it's the signs of starting to think about these objects in a new way and understand them a lot better. Now, turning our attention to some of the smallest objects in the solar system, there was some really interesting talks about meteor showers. These phenomena in the solar system have long been just treated like, you know, celestial fireworks displays. In the past couple of decades, meteors have started to become studied more and more to try to figure out what they might teach us about the solar system. One of the big things that's helping this along is camera networks, where you have a network of star cameras on the ground looking up at the sky every night, looking for meteors. And if you see a meteor from three different camera locations and suitably spaced, you can actually work out the trajectory of the meteor through the atmosphere. If you get that, you can back it up and deduce what the orbit of that grain of dust was before it encountered the Earth's atmosphere. If you put that together with lots of other grains of dust, all of a sudden you start seeing patterns of associated objects. This is what we call meteor streams. And they don't have to actually hit the Earth in order for these streams to exist. But when the Earth does encounter the streams, then you get an enhancement of objects hitting the atmosphere and causing these bright flashes in the sky. Now, visible observations, looking at it with your eye, looking at it with an optical camera, are good for finding a certain range of sizes. And these are kind of like millimeter we also observe these objects with radar systems. And those get the big objects as well, but they're really good at the really tiny stuff, things that you might not even really notice 
looking at it by eye. Now this data is giving us a much more complete three-dimensional picture of meteor swarms and meteor streams in space. Think about the Perseids. Maybe you've heard of these. It's a famous meteor shower that peaks in August. Most people think or have been led to believe that the Perseid meteors happen for just a couple of hours on one night or at most a couple of days. But the data that we're collecting now shows that this stream is much more extensive in the sky. And in fact, the Perseids seem to last as long as three months. Um, the brightest time, sure, is, is, is in the mi middle of August somewhere. But you can find objects hitting the Earth's atmosphere that are associated with this same meteor stream. Now, one of the things to do with these meteors is to kind of trace it back to the to their origin. Where did it come from? And some of the sources for this is uh, an asteroid that gets broken up, comets, dead comets, you know, have lost most of their water, and even objects that have dissipated. So, for instance, there are a lot of comets that we see that pass in really close to the sun, and they never survive. They just fragment up into lots and lots of small bodies that we can't see anymore. That's a really good way to make a meteor stream. But these obvious possibilities have all been seen for certain streams, and then we understand where they're coming from, but there's a lot of these that we haven't been able to track back to a, what we call a parent body or the source region for this. Now, one of the exciting things about continuing to monitor meteor showers and meteor streams and objects that go flash in the night um, supports what uh, my colleague Rick Benzel from Massachusetts Institute of Technology calls traceability. And as we work harder on this from all different avenues, we have got a couple of spectacular cases where we discovered an object coming near the Earth. We have photometry. We have colors. We have spectroscopy that can kind of tell us what this object looks like on its surface. And, of course, we have this same information for lots and lots of asteroids that don't come that close to the Earth. And then it can hit the Earth, and then we can see a meteor, and then we can see how it burns up in the atmosphere. But if it's big enough, it will fragment, fracture, and then you will get meteor falls, not commonly called meteorites, that make it to the ground, and now you can actually hold in your hand a piece of that asteroid that flew by outside the Earth. And being able to connect objects that we observe telescopically at a distance to things that you can hold in your hand is this concept of traceability. And it's going to teach us some amazing things about um, the objects in the solar system. One of the prettier graphics that was shown by Peter Jeniskins in his talk was a video of meteor activity throughout the entire year using data sets like this. And it's a much, much more complicated and varied phenomena than you imagine by just sitting there in your lawn chair some summer evening 
looking up at these uh, meteors flashing by. That's about it for what I want to share with you from the conference. There was, as you might imagine, there were lots of things. I could go on for hours and hours on this. After all, it was a five-day meeting with 400 presentations. And I just wanted to share with you some of the things that caught my eye. I want to wrap up this podcast now, but I also want to thank everybody for their participation in the campaign for an occultation of Eagley last Thursday night. And uh, I know that some of you had weather challenges and like wind and clouds and various other things going on. But some of you got data, and we're anxiously awaiting all the reports and data to get transmitted in so that we can find out what we've learned about this object. If you haven't already done so, I strongly urge you to go and take just a few seconds to fill out the campaign report forms. These report forms are very important for us to keep track of the project, how you're doing, and how we can best help you help us in studying the solar system. I also want to thank those of you that provided ideas and feedback on the fall team meeting that we're hoping to have later this year. It would be great to get as much input from you as possible so that we can settle on dates and uh, a program for the meeting. There's a blog post link with a um, URL for a survey form that uh, we encourage you to go check out. So check out the website for that information related to this podcast. Well, that's it for this podcast. We encourage you to provide feedback, and perhaps you've got a question or want to know more information about some aspect of recon or science in general. Let us know. Don't forget to keep checking the website at tnorecon.net for project updates. Thanks for listening and for your interest in recon.